You're tuned in to the biggest balls of them all. That's right. Playing with Balls podcast. We got sports and comedy for that ass. You about to go downtown, bitch, on the only podcast that sports platinum and brunette chicks. That's right. Playing with Balls podcast, you dig? Welcome to the Playing with Balls podcast. I am your host, Shannon Lee, coming at you from the same place that I normally always do, which is my very professional home studio in Santa Monica, California. And my guest and I are starting it off right. We are drinking rosé. And I've got my friend Barrett Perlman here. And Barrett um, has a lot of connections to sports, so I was really excited to do this one. Um, You are a former pro wakeboarder, is that right? That is correct. And also, um, I'm really excited to hear more about the documentary that you're working on. Um, I was referred to to Barrett. Well, I've already known you for a while, but... um, uh, when I learned uh, through our friend Brooke, who was on the last th- uh, three podcasts ago, I think, um, just some cool stuff, um, some insights to what you guys have been working on. So Very cool. Yeah, so I was excited to have you. And you're our second documentary person. Oh, hey. Yeah. So, Represent. Yeah, so welcome to the Playing With Balls podcast. We'll have to cheers here. Thank you so much. Thanks for being here. Can we hear that? Ching you ching. can. You can definitely ching ching. hear that, yeah. And you can hear us drinking it, too. Well, thank you so much for having me. Of course. Greatly appreciated. This is my first uh, PR appearance, basically, oh. sort of related to Life After X, which is the name of my documentary. Oh, that is so cool. Well, I'm honored that um, I am their first person. And we all we have all types of different fans. It's not just based on, you know, sports with balls. It's um... Which, thank God, because I know nothing <laughs> about sports that involve balls. Well, you know what? I'm not going to ask you anything about that, so don't worry. Fantastic. Before yeah. we started, I was like, Shannon, is it football season? Like, <laughs> you did no. ask that. She's like, no. <laughs> Um, we will not be talking about football season. Don't worry. And Fantastic. I actually just released uh, before this uh, an episode of Philly Bro Talk, which I was telling you about, mm. which I do with my brother who lives in Philly. And uh, we talk about all the sports. So I kind of get that out of the way, especially for like Philly sports and that sort of an outlet. Gotcha. Um, and uh, yeah, so it's more ta- tailored towards you and what your background is and what uh, I want to learn about you because I learned so many cool things on every podcast fantastic what do you want to learn about me well I first want to talk I want to remember I usually will talk about the first time we met oh boy and I think (laughs) (laughs) does that mean we both have to remember it we do have to remember it and I actually um started thinking about it right before you got here because I was like when did we first meet I think we met at a bar uh, through our friend Brooke. Yeah, because you guys were previously working at Snapchat. Uh, we were working at a, a channel called Brother. Oh, that's right. That's, that's right. Our, um, so our parent company was Vertical Networks, but yes, it airs on the Snapchat platform. Right, and so you—that's how you two met because you were working together. Yes. Um, and I think you came. We went out to dinner and we went to a bar, and then we—I think you came to my show. Was that the same night? You came to yeah. one of my comedy shows. I don't remember doing dinner with you. I kind of remember being at your show, or like you—we briefly sort of met maybe before your show. Yeah. And then I really remember getting to know you like out back on the patio. Yes. After that, and I was like, oh my god, you love crystals. I love crystals. Yes. Like, oh my god, you're into hippie shit. I'm into hippie shit. <laughs> like rock shows, but not like the rock and roll. Kind, like actual rock shows. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I remember. That's when we really talked. I thought I think we went, might have gone to Rick's 
Maybe that wasn't you. I think that I thought that was briefly. Oh, you had a date. That's what it was. So oh, I only saw right. I met you. You were like, hi, I'm Barrett. Bye. Ugh. I have to go out on a date now. And then <laughs> I was like, cool. Nice to meet you. And then you pop back up after the date at my right. my comedy show, which was really cool. That's you have a good memory. I mean, I just was spitballing. I was hoping that, that was what happened. <laughs> I think I smoked too much weed for my brain to be so good. <laughs> well, and it's but it's how like we became friends first. And so it's always nice to have somebody on that's connected to sports in some way in the industry. And then also that I'm friends with because it makes it more fun. It's so much fun for me. Yeah. Hmm. And um, and then I've I'll see you this weekend too, or for the holiday. We're going to the 4th yes. of July. In fact, we are doing a sporting event tomorrow called the oh, Beer are? Olympics. Oh, yeah, that's right. I'm like, are we? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? We are. I actually have no idea how Beer Olympics works. Do you? No, I saw the list of like stuff. And I only rec- like recognized the one thing that kind of was like a spinoff of beer pong. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, I was like, I've never heard of this. It sounded like maybe there was some flip cup action that was right. going to go on. But um, hmm. I don't really know. I know you just have to be other countries or you have to mm. represent other countries. And then there's judges. And I heard everyone's <laughs> going to want to be on Team Judge because the alternative is Russia because they've already picked Team America. Yeah, see, I didn't even know, like, how does this work? Do I just, like, show up tomorrow and I'm, am I even on a team? Do I have to, like, ask somebody? I don't know how it works. I mean, I think we should just make our own country tomorrow. Yeah, we, <laughs> we should, should do that. <laughs> what would we call it? Like, what's a name that we could call it? Like, it's Chernopolis. Um, Chernopolis? Well, is that's a little close to Chernobyl. Is that bad? Um, Chernopolis. Like, Jesse Katsopoulos. Sure. All right. Who's From that? Full House. Oh. I don't know why I just thought of that. <laughs> <laughs> it just rhymes with it. But I mean, honestly, I, I think if we start playing Beer Olympics at one o'clock in the afternoon on the 4th of July, we're going to be like hammered. Yes. So maybe I'll like spectate for a while. I'll just be like an audience member for once instead of actually participating. Right. You know? Yeah, that, it'll be interesting to see how that goes. And I'm a Philly girl, and you had mentioned you're having, uh, you're bringing a, a skateboarder from Philly. Yes, I will have a professional skateboarder with me who is from Philly. That's awesome. His name's Stephen Cardi. I think that's how you say his last name. Yeah. Um, so he has just recently moved to town, oh, cool. looking for friends, and so he's going to join us. That's awesome. So you'll have your your double extreme sports there. Yeah. And so is he a part of the documentary that you're filming? You know, he's, you not, he's not yet. Uh, the thing is, he's very much like a current action sports athlete. So he is right now a professional skateboarder. Most of the people that I'm targeting in my documentary are uh, retired athletes. Okay. So what retired means by definition of my documentary is that they've stopped competing. Mm-hmm. A lot of them are still relatively involved in their sport somehow or some way. Some own a company. Um, for instance, Travis Pastrana is just Travis Pastrana. I was so excited when I found out that you guys that Brooke told me she met him when you guys were on location. Yeah, um, that is so fun. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt oh, you. Okay. I, I was just excited about that one. No, in it's particular. Great. He is probably one of the most amazing human beings you could ever meet. Really? It's like you cannot find one single negative thing to say about that guy. Like he is the friendliest dude. He'll give you the best interviews and the best sound bites you could ever hope for. He rips at motocross. Um, parents love him. The guys want to be him. Mm-hmm. And then, like, in between the interview, he's, like, double fisting beer, <laughs> you know, and he's getting ready to go to a concert. He's at the bar till late with everybody. 
Um, in fact, at the, the Nitro World Games parties last weekend, he went around ripping people's shirts open. Oh, my God. Um, he ripped my buddy Jason's, and as he was ripping it, was like, this feels expensive. Oh. And he was like, yeah, yeah, it is. Okay, well, he wasn't ripping, like, <laughs> women's shirts off, right? No, no, so, no, okay. no, no, no. <laughs> Only guys that he knew. But, like, they still love him. Right. And, like, the next day, like, you still just want to be him or be around him. He sounds like a very charismatic guy. Like, he's really got a lot of passion around the sport and he I mean and you know he's kind of for for a sports world that I don't know if you would say it's outside of the mainstream I mean at least when you say sports you think of sports with balls right Um, but he's pretty mainstream for the sport you know I mean he's a a well-known guy and so it's nice to hear that he's an awesome guy too because you you know he's a when you say like parents love him I mean those people are in the spotlight and there's a lot of athletes or former athletes that don't necessarily represent you know maybe a role model in it to some degree but he does so that's awesome he really does and to think that he does like nitro world games and um i'm 31 years old i like to drink um (laughs) but i got to nitro world games last weekend and i was like what do you mean there's no alcohol and it's like (laughs) Obviously, that was something that Travis chose because something he discusses when I interviewed him um, was how he wants Nitro to be like a family environment, something that's fun for the whole family. And I can completely see where when you start to mix alcohol into that, Mm -hmm. it becomes a place that parents don't necessarily want their eight-year-olds or 10-year-olds. And that's good that he's conscious of that. I mean, it's not so good for you. And other people like we you all and lived, me. We all lived through it. I mean, it. We're, we're drinking on my podcast, so <laughs> I hope I'm still a good role model either way. But So tell me, tell me more about the documentary. So Life After X basically unveils the, the good, the bad, and the ugly about the action sports industry and how it's evolved over the years as told through the athletes who've lived that story. Mm-hmm. And then it also focuses on where those athletes are now and you know, action sports isn't what it was 20 years ago. Right. Um, to think that, you know, sort of the heydays of action sports were maybe the late 90s into the early 2000s. Um, guys were easily making a million dollars. It was just like standard. Like right. you think Tony Hawk, that's the era that Rob mm-hmm. Deerdeck came out of, Bam Margera, mm-hmm. um, Travis Pastrana came out of that yep. era. So that's just not a thing anymore. How, how has the industry changed from that time? Well, um, I think a lot of it, a lot of us have been pinpointing back to, and I know from my personal story, um, in 2008 with the the housing crash, the stock market crash Mm -hmm. around that time period, um, 2008 was when I lost all of my sponsorships. Um, And not necessarily all of them, but at a time when they were supposed to go up to really make a full-time decent living. Mm -hmm. Um, Instead, they got cut completely down to just paying for travel with no money on top of it. Oh. And it was sort of like, wait a second. That was my big eye-opener of, wait a second. I've been planning for the last four years for this to be the thing. This is what I'm going to do with my life. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to be a professional wakeboarder for as long as it lasts, you know, right. maybe six, seven, eight years, and then we'll deal with what do you do after that. Right. Um, but it was a pretty rude eye-opener for me and it sounds like a lot of other people as well um that's sort of when the sponsorship dollars kind of all got sucked back and out of the sport Mm -hmm. and yeah once they sort of re-figured out their budgets they realized they kind of didn't have to throw the same amount of money at these guys that they could keep a lot more of it Mm in-house um that paying guys residuals to have their names on their shoes or on their boards it was costing the company and you can't see me right now but i'm using quotation fingers like (laughs) i can see it's costing Mm -hmm. the company money 
Um, but like, you know, you're paying your athletes like you should be. Right. They just have since learned that for some reason they don't need to do that anymore and mm -hmm. turn these athletes into the superstars that they did. That's interesting because that's kind of the opposite of what, of what happens in an emerging or growing marketplace, kind of. You know what I mean? And with, um, with you know, sort of more extreme sports and non-traditional sports, they've become really popular, at least in, in American households over the last 20 years, you know, increasingly. So it's interesting to hear that um, the sponsorship, the paying of athletes, that that's actually directly um, inversely proportionate. Is that right? Did I say that correctly? Inversely. <laughs> you know, it's like an oxymoron, but I, yeah. <laughs> I, I get what you're trying to say. Like, it seems like for something that's growing so Progressing. much. Yeah. Yeah. Um, How can that part of it regress, I guess? Absolutely. I, I think what a lot of people don't realize is like our, our generation grew up with like the skateboarders being the rebels and like yeah. we grew up sort of at the age when we started to really like and understand sports and make our own decisions for ourselves outside of our parents making them for us you right know? um we grew up being like yeah skateboarding yeah snowboarding yeah bmx looks cool like motocross oh my god that's yeah. how can they do that on those it's motorcycles so dangerous um but i think what our generation also doesn't realize is that when was the last time you watched x games on tv that's true. You know? I actually did, but I, I think like recently, or I watched the motocross actually. That, oh, that's, good. Is that, that's part of the, yeah. yeah. Um, and that's how I was actually terrified because that is so scary. But in just in terms of like how many people get hurt from it, like how Absolutely. much you, you dedicate to the sport. So it's a shame, just like any other athlete, the time you put into it and the, and how brutal it is. It's, Absolutely. You make one wrong turn and it's not like taking a hit in football. I mean, you could be dead, you know? Totally. A friend of mine, Bubba Stewart, is a big supercross racer. And so I was on his reality show and he taught me how to ride motocross and stuff. And, um, but during that time, he was just coming out of taking like a year off. And that's a guy who's one of the few guys in the sports that regularly makes a million dollars, if not two, three million a year right. from supercross. Right. Um, so it is interesting also that the different industries have been impacted differently. So for some reason, motorsports haven't taken as much of a hit. And my speculation is because they go around in a circle, right? Mm -hmm. It's something people understand. It's like NASCAR. Uh -huh. It's like the Daytona Five. Like people understand going in a circle when there's a clear winner. Right. Um, what gets complicated is when things are subjectively judged. Mm -hmm. So if my backflip is better than your backflip, Mm -hmm. To the person sitting off to our right who is just watching for the first time, all they know is they saw a backflip. Right. Right. So it, to them, how how did they tell who did the better backflip mm -hmm. aside from a judge who goes, oh, you slipped a pedal. Right. That's an easy tell for them. But to the general audience, it might just be like, I like your outfit better. Why didn't you win? You know. Right. So do you, so does that relate back to then the less having maybe a lesser fan base and the more subjectively judged sports? Um, because it, at the end of the day, it's what people, you know, it, it's being uh, run by people. You know, it's the popularity of the sport. So in my in my mind, it, if it were black and white, it sounds like you're, you're it, it might have been caused from like motocross might be have, might have sustained that difficult time period like in our country because it was maybe more um, widely accepted by people. Is that a, mm -hmm. I don't know. I'm just kind of spitballing. But yeah, you know, you're saying some things I guess I haven't necessarily thought about. Um, but 
yeah, you know, that's a possibility. I, I definitely think they all took a hit. Right. But I think the ones that have still sustained their level of, of essentially stardom for their athletes mm-hmm. um, have been much fewer. Like surfing seems to have survived. But you don't really know about surfing unless you're into surfing. Right. And if you're into surfing, like it's like a very sustainable industry for those guys. Right. And I also think too, it's, it's a cheaper industry, you know, Mm -hmm. you essentially just need a board and Mm. then you never have to pay to go ride somewhere. You know, you just have to travel to that location. Right. And those guys are so much more willing to, to sleep in a tent, to be able to surf the best wave in that country right outside of their tent, you know? Right. As opposed to a, a skateboarder who, is probably also willing to sleep in a tent. I love those guys. <laughs> but, um, you know, they, they might have to go pay to ride at a warehouse or they can, people skateboarding sustained fairly well also. Right. Well, so, so what was your personal experience with it? You were starting to talk about, you know, that this is what you thought you were going to do. You're going to be a professional wakeboarder, right? Mm-hmm. And then in 2008, you lost sponsorship dollars at, or your or sponsors in general out of the blue, like completely unexpected. It sounds like you were a bit blindsided by it, right? Yeah. I mean, because I remember the market crashing <clears throat> in 2008, sort of at the at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. And at that time is sort of when all the contracts, so in September, starting in September is when all the contracts get negotiated for the upcoming year. Right. So at that time, the market's crashing and everyone's going, hold, 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 before we negotiate. Like, we got to see, mm-hmm. which, you know, no one will tell you anything. Their answer is just, we got to wait a little bit longer. We got to wait a little bit longer. And then November, December comes around and you're like, hey, I've kind of maybe missed other opportunities now. Yeah. Uh, while I'm waiting to hear what you're going to pay me for next year. Right. And then all of a sudden the number comes back so much lower than it was the year before. And you're just kind of blindsided. Yeah. And so that was an that was a hit industry wide, right? So everybody that was in your field sort of Absolutely. And I and I hate to say it, but like wakeboarding has probably been one of the hardest hit action sports, if not the hardest hit action sport. I could see that. So you were directly impacted by that. And so you so you chose so you it's not like you chose to leave, you were sort of forced out, I guess, right? Or you just didn't see it as a uh, something to stick with. Like, totally. it didn't really have a future. Is that yeah, what it was? It sort of became like, okay, well, there's always coaching, right? Mm-hmm. And I'd always wanted to be like a team manager. Um, but I sort of, even though I had my college degree, I, I sort of came into this, all right, well, my sponsorship dollars are gone. What am I going to do now? Hey, right. I'll be a team manager. Well, what they also don't tell you is that those positions at those companies open up like once a decade. Wow. Those guys don't leave those positions. They love it because they get paid to party. They get paid to look after the top performing athletes on their team. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it's hard to fill a position that A, isn't open. Right. And that B, they then want to see a resume of proof of of work in that field. Right. And it's it's funny because a couple other athletes in my documentary have touched on this exact same topic, how they've gone to their sponsor and said, I want to, you know, somehow become a team manager for you. Mm-hmm. And their sponsor has said, oh, okay, well, um, send me your resume. Mm-hmm. And they're like, what do you mean my resume? My resume is like, I was a pro athlete, I'm great at building ramps, and I travel, and I know how to party better than most. Right. So <laughs> there's my resume. And they're like, well, did you graduate college? And they're like, I, I was I was doing my sport. Yeah. And I feel pretty fortunate that I did my sport while I was in college. In fact, I even started the Collegiate Wakeboard Association that governed all of college wakeboarding. Oh, wow. So I'm like a two or three-time collegiate national champion. Oh, my gosh. Um, 
random factoid. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's just, you're not really equipped to go out into the world once you've been a pro athlete for all these years and you haven't done anything else. Right. I, I mean, and that is a universal issue in sports in general, Absolutely. you know, and I mean, just kind of take a sport and, and translate that to what that means for that sport. So for example, in football, um, you know, you're, the, you're retiring and you're old for the sport, maybe depending on what your position is by your late twenties, early thirties. Mm-hmm. And if you didn't graduate college, cause you left early to go to the NFL and you're not sure what you're going to do with you know the longer part of your the rest of your life is the long you know because you're still in your 20s potentially or you got hurt or something um there's a lot of controversy around that like supporting athletes into you know uh, into their future after they retire and things like that I believe it um you know one of the things I've I've talked a little bit about to some of these guys is like what's the difference between us and action and ball sports right Mm -hmm. these major sports that um, in our heads get a lot more catering to them, whether it be, um, you know, if they didn't plan their money right, it wasn't because there weren't financial advisors available to them. Right. It was because they chose not to use them, mm-hmm. right? Or or like as soon as they got their money, everyone came at them looking for a handout and they didn't spend their money wisely. But I, I think that now the cool thing is they have those available to them mm-hmm. should they choose to use them. So they have to they have to choose that, but they're also making significant amounts more money than action sports athletes. So, yeah, um, you know, I, I yes, I agree with you completely. It's it's a universal thing I think across mm-hmm. all sports that you really you don't always see the end coming, and when it hits, you're like, what the heck? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and and you ha- and you have to stay focused on what you're doing in the now. You can't. It's not something where you can really plan five years ahead. Right. That's the difference between that and any other industry is being Absolutely. a professional athlete. You know. Yeah. A couple of our guys have even mentioned um, how if if you even let your sponsors know that you were starting to think of an exit strategy, or maybe you were going to start taking a course in the summers, that all of a sudden your sponsors would be like, oh, well, you're not serious about your career, are you? And like. I don't can I curse on your yeah oh yeah yeah. okay honestly how fucked up is that (laughs) that like if you want to go and better your education while you're doing your sport and do both at the same time and still perform at an elite level Mm -hmm. that they dare look at you and go what you want to you want to get stuff for your mind that no one can take away from you like a fucking education like yeah how dare you? Well, and that's and that's unfortunate, but in the world of sports, it it always remind it's a reminder, an ugly reminder that it's all about money and mm-hmm. it, and that there's not a lot of, you know, sports are no different than a company, you know. Absolutely. The people that are the franchise, the sponsors are the investors, the mm-hmm. franchise is the is the corporate headquarter. If you're the professional athlete, you're one of the star performers. You're an employee. So where is your benefits? Where is your healthcare plans? Where is your 401k? Like, right. you know, what makes you any different than somebody else that's, you know, other than what your craft is? It That's the way that it should be, though. I agree completely. And um, I, I correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm really not overly familiar with team sports, but I think they offer some of that stuff, don't they? Like with their packages. So like you know, they, they make X amount of millions over the next couple years and they get invested in a 401k yeah. and they get health insurance. So or- every professional sport is different. Okay. Um, in the NFL, I know there, there's a certain amount of years you have to play oh, gotcha. and then there's other things that go into it. So it's not just about like the tenure, but it's maybe 
um, actual playtime, things like that. And uh, because we actually had an NFL wife, um, and she was a former athlete as well, on here, Nicole Seidman, and her husband played for the Carolina Panthers. Mm-hmm. And she talked actually a lot about it. It was a while ago now, but I, I wasn't educated on it, so I, I don't pretend to be the expert, but I did learn um, maybe how that's different across different sports. But she was saying that luckily, I mean, unfortunately, her in her case, her husband got hurt, and he, he had to stop playing at some point. But he, uh, luckily for the family, their family had made it past that cutoff. Mm. So I, I don't, it, I don't think it's like a linear um, or universal process for every sport. But gotcha. certainly, yeah. I mean, it, it not everybody benefits from it though. Totally. But you know? but let me tell you that that doesn't exist in action sports at all. There is no investment in a four hundred one k. There's no investment in their health care. There, there's none of that. And in fact, the riders actually band together. Um, I want to say, what year is it? 2017. Yeah, the riders actually band together maybe some 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And they created something called ARF, um, which is the, um, I'm not even going to pretend to know what it stands for. <laughs> but it is a fund designed for when action sports athletes get significantly injured at a contest. And it is money designed to help pay for, I mean, these are guys who are probably going to potentially be paralyzed for the rest of their lives oh or God. they need rehab to be able to walk again. And and we've had quite a few of those in the last two, three years. Mm-hmm. Um, it's money designed to be able to fly their family to them should they get hurt in a foreign country and they have to stay there for a couple of months before they're stabilized enough to be able to travel home. Um, the riders band together and they made that so that um, in X Games and Dutour, um, it never happened in wakeboarding, but in all those other major sports, sort of like a percentage came off the top of everyone's paycheck and went into that fund. Sort of like Social Security or something like that. Kind of. So so in those cases, though, how, how effective is that, though, if you are in – if you know the answer to this, like if you are injured and you have to tap into that, is it does is it really significant enough at this point to be able to – you know, take care of medical bills and sort of do what it needs to do. It's pretty significant. I mean, it's that's it, good. It's my understanding. That's really good. Yeah, it's very significant. A couple of guys have been injured to the point of um, having been in comas for several months, and that's more you know, winding. Poor. Oh, no, great. Everyone. Yeah, please. <laughs> and um, you know, the some of them are still learning how to to walk again. Mm-hmm. Um, like, uh, I, I can't even give examples off the top of my head, but. They're they're out there, and I know that the fund is pretty significant um, in that in that design. So, what are some of the so what are some of the other common themes? I'm interested to know from some of the ex um, pro athletes that you've been interviewing for the doc. Well, I don't know how much of my documentary to give away because you should still watch it. <laughs> I think I think common common themes are okay. Yeah, you know, um, common themes have also been, you know, the how hard the tricks have become Mm -hmm. that um, when I was a kid and when I was 14 watching X Games on TV, I actually fell in love with snowboarding first. Mm. And I watched it and I was like, oh my God, I want to go do that. That looks so cool, right? Mm -hmm. And I went and I did it and I hated it (laughs) and I forced myself to love it. And by the end of my first snowboard trip, I went home wanting to be a professional snowboarder. Oh my gosh. But I lived in South Florida. And so my mom was like, nearest mountains 14 hours away we're not moving you got to think of something else um so I took up wakeboarding but it I never got into wakeboarding thinking that I wanted to become a professional Mm -hmm. I just happened to once I started once I learned one flip I started 
to get really good really quickly. Mm-hmm. And the level of the women at the time was like flips and 360s and 540s. It was it was all stuff I could look at and go, aha, I can do that. Mm. And that seems to be a reoccurring theme in that in all of our childhoods, we all looked at the sports and went, aha, I could do that. Uh-huh. And now you watch like a half pipe contest in snowboarding and I'm not even going to pretend to know how to count as high as they are spinning. Oh like God. it's like 1980s and I don't, I don't even know with like double flips and stuff. I can't yeah. even tell you what they're called. Um, and guys are getting paralyzed and significantly hurt all the time. One of the top snowboarders in the game, Mark McMorris, mm-hmm. um, just went down with a massive injury a couple months ago. I heard about that. Um, and it's very severe. Is he still really, like, damaged from that? I don't know what the aftermath of that was, but I remember hearing about it. I'm not overly familiar on his story, but Mm -hmm. I I do believe he's still pretty injured. So what you're saying, you know, is maybe how that the industry has changed is it's become a lot more technical to be – to be one of the top in, yes. in that field. Yes. Thank you for summarizing that for me. Because, yeah. So the tricks have gotten so technical mm-hmm. that, you know, your average kid who looks up to edit nowadays, like, unless they're an absolute phenom or, like, a, you know, just born to do their sport, it's pretty hard for someone to look at that and go, oh, yeah, I can do that. Yeah. Like, now it's just a wow factor without right. the I can do that. So the participation levels are dropping. Interesting. You know, yeah, and so so that combined, um, you know, some of the snowboarders have have said it best in that because they train all year, they do the Olympics, and um, in the upcoming Olympics, we'll actually have BMX. Uh, well, BMX racing was in some of the past ones, but um, we don't always count BMX racing. So, <laughs> BMX freestyle, skateboarding, right. and surfing will all be in the next Olympics. Mm-hmm. So it'll be interesting to see how they're impacted with participation based on that, but. Because they're in the Olympics. Right. Yeah. Um, but that being said, you know, the snowboarders are like, they've got 12-year-olds coming up to them being like, I'm a half-pipe specialist. <laughs> and they're like, you're 12. Yeah. But they kind of have to make that distinction early on, like when they're 12. And also, you know, it's almost like uh, I relate this back to my very basic amateur level of to which I snowboard, which is super, like, I can make it down a mountain. So, I mean, I'm, you know, uh, without falling. Um, and I didn't learn how to snowboard until I was in college. And Mm. I think the fear level was there and, you know, falling and things like that. And I would just watch these little kids like seven, eight years old, um, on a snowboard or on skis, just zoom by me so much better than me because your center of of gravity is so much lower Mm -hmm. and falling as a kid is like not a big deal. Falling as an adult, you know, we have it's all it's you you know I mean and it's it's also less fear I think less fear-based when you're a kid so when you talk about you know 12 year olds saying I'm an an expert in half pipe is that what you said right I mean that to me is crazy but it's also um so important to train as a kid you know I always knew I would be better at snowboarding and I and I'm the type of person that's not nearly as good enough as I've ever wanted to be Mm. um I don't put enough time into it as well but I just recently started going back again and I got a season pass to Mammoth for next year because I'm going to make myself be good me too oh good we should go together we should totally go together you'll totally kick my ass no I just love to like hit rails in the park Uh, okay I don't do (laughs) (laughs) 
Okay, cool. So while you're doing that, I'll drink beer. We can all we can coordinate to take shots at the restaurant. Yes, yes. Like every hour. So you don't just like freestyle like down no, the I mountain. No, I do too. Okay. Oh my gosh, I would love to do circles around you. And oh my then I, god, I like I love to stop and this wait. This sounds really and fun pack, for me. I pack snowballs. Then you're gonna get hit. Yeah, this sounds this sounds um, really fun for me. I'm really excited to go snowboarding with you, Barrett. <laughs> feel really good about myself when we're done <laughs> it'll be so much fun whatever is if as long as you um you can make fun of me a little bit but you have to teach me some things too if you're gonna go with oh me. sure okay and uh the, the weird thing is is i i wouldn't say i'm good enough to teach people i mean i can teach you how to go down a mountain without falling so you can talk shit to me but you can't but you can't teach me is what you're saying well i mean if you want to learn like a 360 i don't quite know how oh, to do that either. no i i I would just rather learn like how to hit like a very small jump. Oh, okay. That's like not a rail. I you know? actually just hit my first jumps this season. Really? Isn't that crazy? That is um, crazy. I've been hitting rails for several seasons. Jesus. <laughs> I mean, that's just like, how, you know, I mean, jumps must be boring compared to rails. It's just, you know, the whole thing, because I grew up wakeboard, well, after I learned how to snowboard, I, I became a professional wakeboarder. And right. the whole thing of wakeboarding is you always have a rope and handle in your hand. Mm-hmm. There's always this way to counterbalance yourself because there's a constant pull coming from your hand. Right. So if you're like getting too far forwards, you can let your arm out and stabilize yourself. Um, but you can't do that with snowboarding. So I actually notice sometimes I'll hit a I'll hit a rail and I just have to pretend that I have a rope and handle in my hand to hit it, not like an asshole. Wow. And I have to pretend that I'm being pulled into it at a constant speed. Otherwise, I will speed check so much and I will stop before I hit the rail. And you can't do that. No, no. you can't because no, no. you need that speed to go over the rail. So I actually just pretend that I can't stop, that I, I have and I have a rope and handle in my hand for stability. And then I just am able to then hit rails like a boss. Wow. That's so that's like sort of like your control mechanism. In a, totally. It, yeah. And it makes a lot of God bless you. You have cute sneezes. Um, it it seems to be. Um, I think that and that's good that you have that, and it's what makes you good at it. It's interesting because I think the biggest issue with letting go and really going for it that I've always had is the lack of control, and mm-hmm. then the lack of knowledge in my brain, the lack of muscle memory from never having done it before, and. It, until I started so the fear of the unknown is what's kept me from being better I'm an athletic person and I know I could be better but I think because also in extreme sports you tend to the you know the level of to which you can get hurt is much higher totally at least in my mind and I grew up playing softball and I still play in like adult leagues and I mean there's still some margin for error there but it's not the same fear right you know and I think um the cool thing about snowboarding too is that like there's better days to learn than there are other days. Mm-hmm. And if that's you're true. if you're riding somewhere that's always icy and they're always grooming, like it's kind of tough to like want to learn anything there mm-hmm. or want to try anything hard. Right. But if you get a powder day, oh my god, yeah. that's like that's like you're a kid in a playground, mm-hmm. you know, or even these slushy days that we're having. And I'm so sad they've closed the main park up at Mammoth now. I know. They just <laughs> did, too. Yeah. Because um, I just ago. rode there at the beginning of June. Which is crazy to me. And I loved it. I mean, to me, it was like the guy I was with, he was a former pro snowboarder. And so he's like, oh, this is awful snow. But I'm like, oh, my God, it's kind of like wakeboarding because when you get on it and it's this wet, it reacts like water. And I know water. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you do know water. That's kind of cool. I never 
it's neat to hear about snowboarding from like a wakeboarding perspective. It's just not, not, I think it's very thought provoking too. And Mm. I also um, think that when we go snowboarding, you should not bring any of your friends that are also pros (laughs) because I'm already intimidated by this, this hypothetical trip we're taking. (laughs) where I'm like, hey, guys, I can barely make it down a mountain. Um, I'm getting better, though. That's why I forced myself to get a season pass because I'm like, it's, I can go to Big Bear, which is yeah. only two, two and a half hours from L.A., and just, you know, like kind of get back into it and then spend as much time there as I can because I just paid for it. Because that's I, I, I think I have a mind of an athlete in that way where I'm like, I want to be better at this. It's just right. I know what my barriers are, you mm-hmm. know? Um, and boy, can it's, it's like passes, lift passes, that is a barrier. Uh, that's a barrier. Yeah, that's a barrier. <laughs> Places to stay in Mammoth, that's a barrier. Oh my God, isn't that the truth? During, you know, shoulder months are easier, but yeah, during the during the regular season, luckily I have some friends that live or have places in Mammoth, so we can sometimes grab those. But yeah, nice. the whole thing, the sport itself is very expensive. Right. But yeah. when you get those like lift passes, like we got the California pass, I mean, my goodness, I don't know if you bought yours on sale like I did, but um, it's awesome, like at six fifty. Yeah, I mean that's about what you could pay in like four or five days of riding. There. I know. Well, I I bought a season pass, um, and I ended up not going my last day because I hurt my neck the first day. Oh, no. So I, but I also bought the season passes in the oh. uh, in sometime in April. So when all is said and done, I think the season pass ended up coming out to like four hundred bucks for next year. Awesome, because I got it sort of at. The la- one of the last weekends before it was in shoulder month. Is that what it's called? Um, I don't know. Whatever. Don't but know. It, they were cheaper because it was like end of season stuff. Right. So that seems to be the way to do it. Buy your season passes at the end of the season totally. for the, f- the next year. Totally. Yeah. I did that with the Epic Pass, actually. I didn't even realize my aunt lives in Denver and I went to Breckenridge for my birthday. Oh. And what they'll do there is they'll take oh. one of your oh. lift tickets and apply it to the Epic Pass for next year. So oh. I ended up being able to get an Epic Pass for all of next year for about 450 bucks. Oh, wow. And I was like, how do I not? If I even come back to Breckenridge, I'd already spent almost $400 on... Oh, we have um, our third or our uh, third lady here who always pipes in um, <laughs> at least halfway or three quarters of the way through, <clears throat> Callie the Bulldog. And she is barking. Uh, she's got a friend here today, Charlie the Frenchie. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it, uh, Barrett, this happens every time. Got you. So anyway, yeah, we'll just have to go next season. Yes. And, Looking uh, forward to it. Yeah. I am kind of M2. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You've already talked shit to me, which I can actually really appreciate because I'm from Philly. <laughs> I'm a Philly girl, so that's how we roll. That's half my game. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. you know what? It's good. It's good. I know that about you. I can tell. You're like a little feisty one. So I'm interested to know, you know, with the documentary, why did you do it? Like, what what drove you to do it in the first place? Honestly, I had kind of sat on this idea for, a f- I've actually sat on it since I moved to L.A., um, which was in 2010. So I've, I've sat on this idea for about seven years now. Wow. So that was like, right, that wasn't that long after wakeboarding. Correct. Okay. Um, I sort of phased out wakeboarding um, and in 2010 I had the opportunity to move to Los Angeles and I took it knowing that that would sort of be closing that chapter of my life. Okay. And I still rode in the very first contest of 2011, um, made it to the finals, got like sixth place 
which I was not expecting. It was That's awesome. it was sort of in my old town of Orlando and I was like just really going to close out my storage unit and like <laughs> say hi to everyone. And I had only ridden like two handfuls of times that entire year and the contest was in April. Oh, wow. Right. Normally and you ride that in like a week. That's fucking awesome. <laughs> so you play six and you weren't even really like practicing. Right. And I copped so much shit from people. Actually, people were really bitter because I was like, I was like, yeah, yeah, I haven't been riding. I'm just here to like do my day one right. and then like party. Right? right. And then I just kept making it on. I was like, this is really effing up my ability to party. <laughs> and be and like, I can see how people would be annoyed because they're like, hey, Barrett, go fuck yourself. You don't have to practice. Yeah, and like, you're like really good at this. Still. I landed tricks I'd never landed in competition <gasps> before. Is that weird? Do you think it was like because it was your last one or something? I think so. And, and I have like a huge thing about just like caving under pressure. Like I will cave under, um, I won't cave under life or death pressure. Mm -hmm. So life or death pressure to me is like your coach is going to freaking kill you because you just effed up so bad this morning not that, like, like not like real life or death like you're gonna die like, feels like life or i mean okay. with my coach he's a kiwi so it might actually have been <laughs> life or death um like the time that i accidentally overslept into the start of the women's qualifiers at a oh, tournament no. and i woke up in the keys like 45 minutes away from the event <gasps> and they stalled for me Oh my god! And it was, it was, and so I went double the speed limit the entire way over the seven mile bridge. Everything to like get there. They had their their brother take the car from me. They had stalled. They had insisted the boats be filled up with gas and that they do all these practice runs. And finally, they were like, "Your heat is starting. Where are you?" And I was like, "I'm going 90 down the road right now. I will be there in one minute." They're like, "You better hurry because if she doesn't fall, you are up." And I was like. <sighs> oh my god and like she fell a bunch of times so I actually had time to go down to the dock put my stuff on the very first trick of my run I fell <gasps> and you only get two falls on this oh, one oh shit so I was like OMG and when you fall you lose you lose space in your run in wakeboarding because right. now the boat has to get back up to speed before you can do another trick yep and you just get it down and back in wakeboarding. You just go through the course and come yeah. back. You don't get to like. I've tried it before. I, I that's why I didn't really. I wasn't. I have nothing to brag about. That's why I have. I'm just now <laughs> mentioning it. But I. It is. It's really hard. And yeah. And you're right. You have to get it just right with the speed of the boat. And totally. so how did it? So okay. So that was my life or death pressure. Yes. And um, so I, then I got up and I actually stomped the fucking piss out of the rest of my run. Wow, that's good. And I actually beat the winningest female in all of wakeboarding in my, who is in my heat, um, Dallas Friday. <gasps> it was like... That's her name? Mm-hmm. Dallas Friday. I know. That's a... That's a sounds like a stripper, stripper name. I know. I mean, I don't know why I'm whispering. <laughs> we all know, but uh, you know, okay. action sports athletes all seem to have like the coolest names. Barrett Perlman's a cool name. Thank you. I mean, it doesn't sound like a stripper. Thank you. To be honest. Um, Thank you. I um, mm -hmm. also, you had a good stripper story that you were telling me that I you did. had. So maybe, oh. I don't know. Oh, did yes. you? Oh, yes. Not where I was the stripper. I am not a stripper. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> it was Dallas Friday. No, we're just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. So did you win? So real quick, though, you can tell the stripper story, too, if you want. But did you <laughs> win or did you, uh, did you, so you said, I'm sorry, this is a bad question. I'll a lot did you win that and do you crack under pressure normally i normally crack under pressure of like being in the finals and now all of a sudden like because women always get really shitty time slots like oh, really? we have to ride like first thing in the morning when like no one's at the event that's fucked up so like the only people who are there to watch you are like 
your friends that you ride with, your coach, and mm-hmm. like everyone else who also has to be there early. Right. Um, so in that respect, it sucks. And you don't get to ride in front of everybody, like the whole crowd, the the whole everything until you make the finals. And that's mm. also when like everyone really throws down and they're a lot less likely to fall. Yeah. So I've caved under pressure a lot of times. Like that's – I was more of like a, a style life rider yeah. kind of thing. Uh, hitting rails was my thing. But, I mean, I've had podium placements and stuff. And in that specific contest that I'm talking about, um, I won my heat that day, and that was the semifinals. And then the very next day, it was so rough out. I actually broke my arm my oh, first no. trick. Oh, <gasps> Holy shit. And then I had got back up and I rode with a broken arm and I ended up getting third place. Wow. Congrats. You're Thank awesome. You. So, so like, like life or death pressure. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, you know, some people perform. I didn't ask it so eloquently earlier. I was um, trying to ask like three questions at once, but you know, a lot of people have sort of one way or another that they perform some like I, for example, I do very well under pressure. I hate mm. that that's the case, but that is how it is. Yep. I actually come alive and in the best I have, I am the best I ever am when I am under the gun and, yep. or, or there's a lot riding on it. It just, and, and other people are not that way. So mm-hmm. I, I, I wasn't sure if you were saying universally it, throughout your experience, you were one way or the other. I was sort of trying to determine that, yeah. but it sounds like you overcame in, in those situations. Yeah. It's like if you, if you push me to like a 99% of pressure, mm-hmm. I will perform. Mm. Um, and especially that always happened too. I would, I would compete in a lot of contests against men. Mm-hmm. Um, like grassroots competitions. Mm-hmm. It wasn't always, at a certain point, it wasn't fair for me anymore to ride against women in like a tournament in Sacramento that's mm-hmm. just like one of their fun summer oh, tournaments, Sacramento. you know? yeah. Where well, their girls are doing one flip and a bunch of 180s. Like It's just the competitive level is a little bit right. different. And I'm doing 540s and flips with 180s. And so it like wasn't always fair. So I would ride against the men and I would always have to like to me that was 99% pressure right because everyone's looking at you just ready to watch you fail so that's interesting um did I so that's okay you're allowed to um go into a male category I didn't I didn't realize that and I'm actually third place in Columbia in professional men's wow that's amazing go (laughs) you go girl that's fucking awesome and also you know I I think that it is like just indicative of the the athletic person and the competitive athlete in general, which is like always a very similar conversation or common theme on this podcast. When I talk to people who are athletes that you have to push yourself to be better. If you're, Mm -hmm. if you're performing it with a bunch of underclassmen, you're probably just not going to be as good because you're just not going to push yourself and where, and you, and you have a mindset and we didn't talk a lot about the mindset yet, but the, the mindset of an athlete. and But one question I did want to ask you is, so what brought you to L.A. after wakeboarding? Oh, <clears throat> so... Because we um, haven't really talked about what you've been doing over the last seven years. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we haven't. My mm. goodness. Um, long story short, I used to act when I was a kid. Oh, wow. Always loved the entertainment industry. Before I got into wakeboarding, I wanted to become like an agent to make other people's dreams come true oh, after cool. my entertainment dreams weren't going to come true. And... Um, When I started looking at colleges for that, then I got into wakeboarding and wanted to go to college where I could do that. Mm -hmm. Um, So when I graduated college, I was already running sporting event tournaments for television and um, 
Sorry, we're taking a, no. a more wine yeah, break. Oh, we can wine. tell everybody here. Yay. Take the rest, Just Bear. poured the rest in my glass. <laughs> well, you know. You can tell I've been drinking it. Just, we have now <laughs> polished off a bottle by the time we are done with this, these glasses. This is the fastest I've I've drank wine on the podcast so far. So thank you for... Oh, you're so welcome. For being, <laughs> thank you for being able to keep up with the, the wine Olympics at my... At my dining room table. When she first invited me, she was like, we don't get drunk or anything. I was like, we don't? <laughs> well, we could. Why? There's no limits. I mean, we could. Yeah. Um, but so so your yeah. story, um, I had started then when the 2008 recession happened mm-hmm. and I lost my sponsorships. I got into acting and modeling. Okay. And that's what started paying my bills. Okay. Um, which is awful. Modeling's an awful industry. Um, and I didn't want to be in that. But I, I happened to make friends with a director on Bubba's World and I remember that show yeah mm-hmm. so I was on that and I was sort of assisting him and AEing with him and he was like why don't you move to Los Angeles and I was like okay mm. I've always wanted to do that I've been looking at my life going am I really going to be stuck in Florida for the rest of my life like oh god that is um yeah you know Florida's like a big place and it sounds like major cities and stuff but like it is a big you, place when you grow up there it's like your nightmare to ever be stuck there well I mean I think that's like a lot of places that like I grew up in New Jersey and Philadelphia area and I loved it there don't get me wrong but it's maybe a, another dimension or another thought process of like the world is big yes, and I want to go see the world. And so if I can't, mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of pe- people that leave where they're from. I think a lot of them are either they could be running from something. I know in my case, it's like the world is big and I need to live other places because I used to live totally. in South Carolina. And so I used to go to Florida a bunch, too. And I used to actually think, oh, my God, it's so warm here. Well, exactly. And so by this point, I'd already lived in Australia, been to New Zealand, been to Russia, Venezuela, Colombia, Canada. Wow. You know, I had been like around. Right. So obviously the idea of being stuck in Florida for the rest of my life was like haunting. Yes. (laughs) So I had this opportunity to to go straight into a job in Los Angeles and I took it in the entertainment industry where I knew I always wanted to be. And um, I've always said, I know this will be the hardest thing I've ever done, but I'm willing to do it because I can't get stuck in Florida. You think even harder than like wakeboarding or? <sighs> Honestly, I, oof, that's a tough one, man. Um, this is a right. very thought provoking <laughs> podcast. I will have you know. <laughs> you know, considering my grandma today um, told me that she thought I should move back in at home with my mom um, oh, in Jesus. Florida. Um, maybe I have something like it feels a little hard right yeah. now. <laughs> wow. Uh, but um you know, I, I just, my family has never been for anything that I've wanted to do. So Really? Yeah. So for me, that's always been a, God, a struggle. It's got to be tough. Yeah. Because to really make, because you're talking about two really hard things here. You're talking about being a professional athlete and you're talking about post being in Los Angeles and trying to make it. And that is the hardest thing outside of being a professional athlete. Oh, it's probably even harder. Yeah, I, I would agree because I'm trying to do the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> In fact, we're, we're contributing to that right yeah. now. So to kind of bring it full circle, like what made me want to do this documentary is like as I moved to Los Angeles, um, people had no idea what wakeboarding was. Mm. And I used to explain it to people in general out here like applying for red carpets and stuff or you know trying to get in on these movies and things and it'd be like I'm a professional wakeboarder and then have people just go well what the f is that (laughs) and you're like something I dedicated 11 years of my life to yeah um and so for me it was a massive identity crisis Mm. 
um, and as a lot of people touch on in, in the documentary now, I can imagine um, what made me want to make this documentary was the fact that I was living it. Mm-hmm. I was living through a massive identity crisis of how do you introduce yourself to someone anymore? Because mm-hmm. I always said, Hey, I'm Barrett, you know, and Oh, what do you do? I'm a professional wakeboarder. And like, you know, I used to even lie about it at parties sometimes and beg my friends not to tell people that I was a professional wakeboarder because people would think it was so cool. And that's all they wanted to talk about. And like, sometimes you just don't want to talk about the thing that you do 110% of your life. Right. And I totally get that. I, I, a hundred, I really think that's a very relatable feeling and uh, for a lot of people, especially people Mm -hmm. that didn't move here when they were 19 years old and live in their car from Nebraska wanting to be an actor. And I'm not trying to downplay that, uh, you know, for people that have done that. But there are people like me and you where we had lives before L.A. that Mm -hmm. was a different a different professional pursuit. For me, it was the corporate business world. It's different. But. I had maybe a two-year identity crisis when I first moved to LA. Oh, really? Because, well, in a similar way, because I didn't know how to describe myself. Even I just, right. I, I even went through um, customs, uh, and they ha- they <laughs> told me to write my profession. This is a, yeah, it's like it's like a scene from a movie. This is how you <laughs> illustrate it. And they wrote um, sales and comedy, and. <laughs> The guy at, at, at customs was like in England was like sales and comedy. What the hell is that? I was like, well, it's two different professions, but I'm not really sure which one I should write. Do I write the one where I make more money or do I write the one that's my passion? And he's like, I don't I don't know. I just I just never saw somebody write sales comedy. <laughs> comedy sales like what the fuck is that you know but that's like a great you sell people laughs exactly you know it's it's Boom. true but i think it, it's like it's why i can in my own way understand what you're saying when it's like you know who am i now like what am i who do i want to be what do i what am i doing yeah. you know you know for uh, 10 years later um i i still have the very first thing that describes me in my instagram profile former professional wakeboarder Right. Because mm-hmm. like I, I it's to this day, I still can't let go of that identity because that is me. And and I don't know if it's a shitty thing or not, but like in Los Angeles, anything that can make you stand out from the pack mm-hmm. is a good thing. Totally. Right. So if I can say I'm a former professional wakeboarder and then they all know me as that wakeboarder girl, mm-hmm. that's a positive thing. Um, whereas I don't know that necessarily it, it is in the rest of the country, but you know, this day and age, anything that makes you stand out from the pack, I think is a positive thing. Totally. It's so hard to stand out from the pack now in an era where everyone's trying to stand out from the pack. It's become very technical, if you will. It's like yes. the tricks. You know what I mean? <laughs> Way to bring it full circle. You know? Yeah, you like that, right? I love it. But you know, there's there in LA, if you walk into an audition room, for example, there's 42 other women that look like you. It really yep. can do a lot for your psyche to make you yeah. feel like, oh, fuck. Mm-hmm. Like, I thought I was unique. Well, not in this room, I'm not. Everyone nope. looks like me. You know, I don't know what they're bringing to the table in that audition. But I, I totally un- understand that. And I also think it is something, in my opinion, that you shouldn't ever let go of because it's a part of your life. It has shaped you. And you are doing what you're doing now because of what, that had prepared you to do, you. you know, 
And I think that being an athlete prepares you to do certain things, especially like with your story, that I think maybe you, if you skipped that whole part of your life and then came here to do this other thing, just if that's how things panned out, maybe you you wouldn't do it, you know, or maybe you just wouldn't be as prepared. So totally. And it, I realize now what a, an an obsessive work ethic it's given me. It's amazing. You know, I, I've, so in losing my identity, blah, 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 I, didn't really have any other friends in action sports. I haven't gotten to know, you know, I used to date a professional BMXer, so I know everyone in BMX. Um, I've gotten to know a lot of the skateboarders. Wait, you know everyone in BMX? Pretty much We're going to have to talk BMX. offline about this afterwards. <laughs> Continue. <Okay>. Proceed. <laughs> um, I've, I've gotten to know a lot of people across multiple disciplines from that, from being at X Games, from being at Dutour, and et cetera. Um, but when I retired, everyone I knew didn't retire. And so it's just now coming to the point where I know people who are retiring. Mm. And gosh, I mean, props to them for having much more successful careers. I don't know. <laughs> well, I mean, they weren't in wakeboarding for the most part, right? So truth. <laughs> yeah. Yes, truth. I mean, yeah. some of them were like sponsored by Target and like <laughs> Yeah. That's that's pretty <laughs> that cool. That didn't happen in wakeboarding. No. Um so yeah, so it's just fully come circle now that um some of these guys are retiring or they're looking to retire and having had some of them reach out to me for advice and mm-hmm. guidance on what can I do? You know, what's the stunt world like? Cause I also do stunts. Mm. Um, it's been the one beautiful blessing that's come out that's of so cool. life I after know, wakeboarding. I didn't know you do stunts. Oh yeah. I got my first stunt job because I could drive a wakeboard boat. That's fucking awesome. <laughs> You're badass, Barrett. <laughs> Who knew? I mean, I kind of knew, but I didn't like un- fully understand. This is also like us becoming better friends too on the podcast because I'm just like learning Totes. stuff. Totes. Why, might as well do it here, you know? Yeah. Um, that's so badass, seriously. Yeah. And so having that happen now, um, I'm actually at this really cool pinnacle where I am obs- I've I'm very lucky to have found something else that I can be as obsessed with as I was about wakeboarding. Yeah. Um, I am obsessed with making content, making television, making film, making make I will make anything that you let me make I am obsessed and I said ugh like but I what I meant to do but that's more like of my Jewish side coming out being like that's the that's just a weird sound that like we make ain't that the truth they, yeah yes it wasn't like ugh yeah. that's terrible it's like ugh I'm the same exact way yeah. I will make shit all day long mm-hmm. you know and I so I'm a performer but I totally understand that as well like that that need where it's like sometimes I mean it can be a little annoying if like shit's not going well or technically but <laughs> hence my grandma telling me to move <laughs> or that or grandma being like all right it's time to stop living your dreams oh, come like, home now yeah but like you should change industries i'm like you don't even you don't even know grandma but you know what uh gra- what grandma doesn't understand no. about this story is that you were one thing that you thought you were just gonna be and then because of barriers that happened you had to choose a different path or you chose to go down a different road and you had an identity crisis and then you found what you're passionate about and now you're doing it. So grandma, I mean, come on, like, you know, Barrett's happy. Like leave, (laughs) leave her the fuck alone. (laughs) I'm happy and I'm a little broke just as all, as all documentary, as all documentary filmmakers are, you know what? Which is awful. I talked about this on my last podcast, how documentary filmmakers need to make more money than they do. They need to make money up front is the problem. Yeah. They don't make enough documentaries in general. Just don't get, they don't make enough money and and the way I've mapped mine out we'll make plenty of money we'll make all of our money back and then some so like 
a year from now <laughs> yeah ask me how i'm doing once i've sold it because um i own 50 percent of the points on the back end i mean i will yeah <laughs> i want to see like, how this goes it's like i don't get to see i i mean i dedicate my life and because i I love action sports so much and I love filmmaking and I love storytelling so much. Um, I've made myself sick twice in the past three weeks, like had to be down for the count for at least three or four days, not able to do anything because I had strep and I couldn't afford to go to the doctor. So I used holistic healing to cure myself of strep, which apparently no doctors can believe. Um, or my family. I believe it, but we both believe in Thank crystals. You. So. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and now this time I've come down with a throat infection and my mom insists, my mom gave me money to go to the clinic because she's like, I want you tested for strep. And I got tested for strep and the doctor was like, no strep. And I was like, oh, middle fingers up, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> cured myself of strep. <laughs> oh my God. How did you do that, by the way? Side note. Oh my gosh. Um, so many things. Uh, uh, Reiki, gargling with turmeric and salt water. I love um, Reiki. I do mushroom, 10 mushroom formula, um, mushroom elixirs, mitochondria support. Not like psychedelic mushrooms. No, not okay. like, no. I, I wish that would cure your strep. I know. Wouldn't that be cool if um, that just cured everything? Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes it can, it can cure uh, like, you know, um, some of your issues with yourself. Oh totally. my God, that scared Tons the of fucking sleep. shit out of me. Brooke, Brooke is here. That scared house. me so hard. Brooke is hard. <laughs> Brooke just scared me. Well, we're we're sort of wrapping up. And what I was gonna yeah. say, so Barrett doesn't matter how I cured myself. Of well, and whatnot, but we you can write a blog later, and I'll yeah. make people go to it. But I'm what obsessed I was obsessed with action sports, obsessed with filmmaking, and that's why this is happening now. And one of the things I was gonna say was, you know, I and the listeners know I have everybody tell a baller story at the end. I don't want to hijack your baller story because I kind of think you just told it but if you have something Mm. else that like another sports memory or something else you want to say but I I loved the kind of full circle-ness since we keep saying that of you and your life and the progression of your life and this is sort of like your mini biography if you will and (laughs) the documentary is sort of just where you're at now but it's what's led you to that and that's what you're most passionate about so if there's any other like cool stories that stem from that I I totally don't want to hijack it but I also don't want to put pressure on you to have to like beat your own life story (laughs) no it's cool to hear you say that because um not that i am by any means trying to yet cornerstone my career Mm -hmm. right it's like way too soon your mid-career your mid-career yeah this this to me is um making the documentary life after x is is a culmination of everything that i am to this point in life right right it is the fact that i had a career as a professional wakeboarder for six years and wakeboarded for 10 years. Right. um, And was obsessed with wakeboarding and action sports and then became obsessed with the entertainment industry and filmmaking and with storytelling. And now it's just this beautiful pinnacle um, that I'm actually, I feel so blessed that the industry is allowing me to tell the story Mm -hmm. on their behalf. Um, I get really emotional about it sometimes. Actually, I have chills I just, right like, now. I think this is a great yeah, story. I, I can't even believe that I'm the one that gets to tell this story that hasn't been told in at least the last 10 years of how action sports have changed. And also it's it's part of, but it's, you own the story because a part of it is your story. Oh yeah, I've lived it. Yeah. And it's, I feel like it's really beautiful because um, I don't know who else could better tell this story. Who else has lived it and now has the ability to be a storyteller and a filmmaker and and make a documentary about something that they have lived through and that 
others have lived through and that other people are also so insanely passionate about and have no idea is going on? Well, it's obviously Barrett, grandma, okay? <laughs> you tell my grandma. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to write her a letter. That's always my solution to everything. Let's write yeah, him a letter. Man. I'll live in my car if I have to to finish this oh. documentary. I won't, ha- I won't have to. No. But like- <laughs> well, it actually is finished at this point, right? Or for the most part? Or it's- no, no. Um, oh, there's I'd more to go. We're, we're maybe about halfway through filming. We're looking at wrapping filming at the end of August. Hence okay. why the crowdfunding campaign is right. going on right now. Okay. So how can um, how can the Playing With Balls listeners um, keep abreast of like the progression of the documentary and you and, you know, maybe if there's any support that they want to provide? Oh, man. I, I can't make this documentary without y'all's help. Mm-hmm. So if you could please, please help. Even $5 is an amazing contribution. Um, but, you know, we are findable. Um, I think the easiest way to find us is with... Uh, any ha- like at life after X mm-hmm. we're on Instagram we're on Facebook we're on Twitter um, me personally Barrett Perlman um, but we have links both in my bio and life after X and all over the Facebook page to get to the Indiegogo crowdfunding campaign that okay. is going on right now okay we just launched it so we've still got about four weeks left to go and um, yeah we're, we're trying to hit $15,000 so well, you know, I if there's anything that playing with balls can do to help, we are. I'm actually. Um, it's it's just it's me and Callie, mm-hmm. the bulldog. <laughs> uh, I'm hosting a, a an event next week for the Home Run Derby. That's actually the next podcast, Ooh. and maybe there is some opportunity because one of the things that. I have found is helpful are some of the guests that have been on here. And there was another documentary um, filmmaker for mm-hmm. a hockey documentary. And then uh, a couple weeks ago, we had a f- gentleman who is a former White Sox player. And also oh, cool. he was in the movie Moneyball. And he has a, a really wonderful nonprofit for kids and sports. Nice. So we're figuring out ways to use this event to just kind of re market out some some things so maybe there'll be some application with that we'll have to look into it but let's talk further yeah for sure but i this was so fun honestly yeah. i've like had chills thank you for finishing you this gave me chills me. and you also talk shit to me so i like <laughs> like you even more now because because i really appreciate that being a, a girl from philly um but i i can't wait to see the documentary i can't thank wait till you. it's all said and done it sounds amazing I love extreme sports. I always have. And that's why when Brooke, I said, told me about uh, Travis Pastrana, I, I was like, oh, my God, because my ex-husband and I used to like watch the X Games religiously. He introduced me to him. Oh, I, I used to play like the Tony Hawk video game. Like it just I got really into it. That was going to be my baller moment. Not to hijack oh, your story. No, tell it was meeting Tony Hawk. OK, tell that story before we go and then we'll reinforce <laughs> Well, your we social were, medias. Of all things, we were in Russia. Um, my ex-boyfriend is a uh, Venezuelan BMXer by the name of Daniel Dares. Okay. Whom I still adore to this day. We're still good friends. Um, but Daniel had been nominated for this Action Sports Athlete of the Year Award for something called the Laureus World Sports Awards mm-hmm. that they hail as the Academy Awards of Sports that no one has ever heard of. Um, that being said, it was held in Russia and Tony Hawk is like on the board for it. And we happen to share an elevator with him. And Ugh. of course, he's friends with my ex-boyfriend. Of course. And so it was like, oh, hi. And, and, you know, Tony's all like, oh, hey, man, how's it going? Like, what's new? Blah, blah. Like, they're just like shooting the shit. And I'm right. Like, hi, I'm Barrett. And like, we briefly <laughs> met. And then like his wife and I shot the shit. <laughs> hi, Tony. <laughs> um, 
that was that was to me my favorite moment. That's fucking cool. Meeting Tony Hawk oh. in an elevator in Russia. Was he nice? Like, oh man, he's he's. I don't want to be like he's almost as cool as Travis Pastrana because he was cool <laughs> before Travis Pastrana was cool. Right. You know, like he's just greatness as all greatness. Like, like he exudes greatness as you want him as you Jesus. as anybody that's a Tony Hawk fan would want to hear. Yes. That's awesome. He's amazing. That's so cool. Okay. So I'm sorry. Back to you meeting Travis Pastrana. Oh, I no, I've never met him. Oh, I oh no, no, no. I've introduced you. To oh, no, no, no. I was, like on television. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. So, so all of my stories are really shitty compared to your stories. <laughs> so, so I can see how you would get that confused. No, I was just saying that like, as if introduced me to him as, as an athlete, <laughs> not like in a person. <laughs> I have it. never met him. Got it. But, um, um, like it just it just talks about our levels of where where we're both at. You know, we can go back to the snowboarding analogy, which I don't want to. Um, <laughs> but it, it just in terms of like my love for extreme sports. So um, that's why I was excited to have you on, because I think it just provides a great perspective. And you're our first um, extreme sports and only wakeboarder pro wakeboarder that we've had holler yeah the only one you'll find in los angeles well i was just so. gonna say i think you might be the only one in los angeles we're so. a rare breed so i got her everybody she's here remember how i said no one knows what wakeboarding is <laughs> so if you have questions send them to what's your social plug your social media again? uh Bar- at barrett perlman on across everything um and life after x life after x and well and when i post this um and i, I post it on the social medias uh, i will um reinforce all that stuff too and then uh, barrett is also a personal friend of mine so if you wanted to ask her any questions you can always email us at playing wballs at gmail.com because that's where we take our baller mail um and then the dubs don't, i want to also thank everybody for listening honestly barrett like I'm just telling you this because you're here. Mm. Um, so I'm not just talking to the air. But in the last like month, our following has increased like dramatic, dramatically. I'm going to say dramatically because my brother just made I that love up. It cause you, oh, I was like, you just made that up. Dramatically and drastically um, <gasps> on my Philly Bro Talk episode. That's the one that dropped right before yours. He said dramatic and dramatically. So I have to use that. But also our following has increased, but our downloads are like off the charts. So Amazing. the biggest thing we need from all of that, since people are listening, is please rate and review the podcast because that's how we continue to gain popularity. That's how Barrett continues to gain crowdfunding. Um, That's how we all eat, everyone. So just don't forget to rate (laughs) us five stars and write cool shit about us. Otherwise, you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Playing With Balls. And me personally, I'm at Shannon Lee Comedy. Barrett's at Barrett Perlman. And we're going to have to keep you abreast of updates on Life After X. So I'm excited for that. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for being here. This was so fun. It was fun. Let's go walk to the the liquor store and go get another bottle. All right. We got to go because we need another (laughs) bottle of wine because we're done now. So on that note, (laughs) bye.